Well, we reach the end of this amazing love song in the Bible. Uh, we've traced out its themes of initial uh, attraction, desire, the beginning of a relationship, overcoming obstacles and frustrations, uh, heading towards uh, a great wedding day. And then we've also seen some of the challenges uh, of marriage and some of those tensions being resolved. And now, as we come to this final part of the Song of Songs in chapter 8, we've reached a new place of mature love. There was an old cartoon strip that was in the newspapers, uh, and it used to be called Love Is... Dot, dot, dot. Uh, a cartoon couple uh, would uh, enact various things, and there'd be little lines like, Love is putting your hearts on the line for each other. Love is seeing in him what others can't see. Love is being able to say you're sorry. You know, you get the idea. Um, it was started off as a series of love notes by a lady called Kim Kazali that she drew for her future husband, Roberto, that turned into a very uh, lucrative uh, business for her. Well, in that style, I want us to look at this closing section of the Song of Songs uh, and I have five points of what love is as we close this series. Five points this morning. First of all, love is leaning. Have a look at chapter 8, verse 5. Please open up your Bibles again. Have a look at 8, verse 5. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved Last time we looked into the wilderness to see something coming out of the, the distance was Solomon in his carriage coming for his wedding day. But the wedding day is well past now. And we see as we look out into the wilderness, a couple coming together. And the lovers, they're walking together openly, arm in arm. The early tensions and anxieties are now gone. They're perfectly at ease with each other. Unafraid of who sees them. This is a relationship that's well established. It's sure. And so she can lean on her beloved. They're partnered in life. Uh, they're going to grow old together. That's the picture we get in 8 verse 5. You see, this is actually the climax of the song. The end point of a sexual relationship is not sexual pleasure, but companionship, fellowship, closeness, intimacy. Love is leaning, and secondly, love is fruitful. As they approach the family home, they, they reminisce happily about the past. She says, under the apple tree, I, I roused you or, or awakened you. And she's just reminiscing, oh, that's where we, we began to fall in love. At his parents' house, the very place that his mother conceived and gave birth to him was the place that their love was, was birthed. And I think here the apple tree signifies more than just the place where they sort of did their first uh, conversations. With the mention of, I think, the mother conceiving and giving birth, I think this apple tree is a, is a metaphor for the family tree. 
And what has been hinted up to up to now becomes a bit more explicit, that the natural expectation of lovemaking is the possibility of babies. And the great miracle that two separate people, from two separate people, God can create brand new life. Another unique soul is birthed into the world, an eternal soul that's going to exist for all eternity. Love is fruitful. And what is the nature of this love that creates true companions who pass on the gift of life? Well, this one flesh union is permanent and priceless. If you look at chapter 8, verse 5, the second half of it, place, uh, verse 6, place me like a seal on your heart. Like a seal on your arm, she says. Now, ancient seals were a kind of personal signature. You'd roll your patterned seal, each, and each, every person had a unique seal, and you'd roll it in the wet clay, and the imprint would be left there to indicate ownership. It would guarantee a legal document. It would be the promise of payment, of purchase. It was almost like a little credit card in the ancient days to roll your seal. It's a form of self-identification. And she wants to be a seal over his heart, like a seal on his arm. What does she want? Well, she wants commitment. She wants a private commitment sealed over his heart. She wants a public commitment sealed on his arm to let everyone know that she belongs to him and that he belongs to her. And I suppose our our wedding rings are a, a, a way of marking that today, aren't they? I was not really kind of a jewelry sort of guy. I'm still not a jewelry sort of guy. I wear one piece of jewelry, and uh, it's what Shona gave me on my wedding day. Um, she gave me a gold ring, and her name is in there, just in case I get forgetful. And uh, I've even got the wedding date, so I can never forget our anniversary. And she gave that to me, and guess what? I gave her a ring, and it's got my name in her ring and it's a way of publicly showing our private commitment isn't it it signifies our personal relationship it reminds me of my permanent commitment to Shona for richer for poorer in sickness and in health and why well 8 verse 6 for love is as strong as death it's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. Now these are powerful pictures, aren't they? What's love like? Well, it's likened to death. Death is strong. It does not give up. It moves relentlessly towards us. And when it takes us, it will not let us go. And when the grave receives us, it does not let us out. Well, love is like that. Love does not give up. It does not let go. Love is like a fire. And actually, if you look at your footnotes uh, in the NIV, I think... This is probably the right way to translate it as the footnote. It is the very flame of the Lord. 
it seems natural to me that in this uh, wisdom book in the Bible that God would be mentioned. And I think this is a reference to God. It's like, it's like a fire. It's like the very flame of the Lord. Recall Moses, how he encountered God in the wilderness. It, it was in a burning bush that was not consumed. And God called out to him from this burning bush and revealed his divine personal name, the Lord, Yahweh, the great I am. And the flame of the Lord speaks of his eternal nature, his eternal sufficiency. He burns but doesn't need anything to keep it burning. The bush was not consumed. It speaks of his very nature, the eternal God. Well, love is like the fire of the Lord. A fire that cannot quench, be quenched. A, a, a fire that cannot be put out. Waters cannot quench this love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. Now, in 1 John chapter 4, we learn uh, two fundamental things about God. God is light. And it also says in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. And there's something about true, permanently committed love between a husband and a wife that is a spark of this divine love. It's God-like. That's the power and the strength and the permanence of divine love. Now, even as we think about death, of course, it reminds us the sadness of human love is exactly this, that death does bring the companionship to an end. But my Christian friends, just recall how Jesus stood weeping before the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who he loved and the divine love and power of Jesus was able to call the name of Lazarus and call him out of the grip of death. To call him out of the grave and back into life and table fellowship with him. As 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us, there is a love that never fails. For when we are committed to Christ... He is committed to us. He is the resurrection and the life. His love is as strong as death. His love is stronger than death, isn't it? And those who depend on him, even in death, will hear his voice as he calls us out of the grave into everlasting life of fellowship and joy with him. And um, the faithful ones that we've lost, even during this COVID season, we haven't lost them. Um, cemetery just means a sleeping place. We've laid them to sleep. The Lord's going to call them out. And there's going to be a great reunion. Whatever floods threaten to overwhelm us, His love will keep us fast. His love cannot be swept away. Now, what would you give for such fiery, powerful, committed love? What would you give? Well, it's a, it's a useless question because you can't buy that sort of love. It is priceless. That's what the song goes on to say. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, 
it would be utterly scorned. The Beatles were right. Money can't buy you love. It is a most precious thing, infinitely precious, to experience being truly loved. And every Christian believer here, you are truly loved by Jesus in this way. Christian, Jesus loves you in this way. The high priest, we learn in the book of Exodus, uh, was given special vestments. And um, he wore a breastplate, and on it there was 12 precious stones. On each stone was engraved one of the names of the, one of the tribes of Israel. And he wore it over his heart as he went into the presence of the Lord for the people. Beautifully symbolic, isn't it? The people were written on his heart as he entered the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. And the high priest wore um, two big onyx stones on his shoulders and uh, the six names of each tribe was on each shoulder and the high priest was bearing them up. He was bearing the burden of them before the Lord. He had them over his heart. He was bearing them up as he ministered before the Lord as their mediator. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is our great high priest, isn't he? His love for us is graven into his hands. We discover that the wounds of his crucifixion were still visible post-resurrection so that the doubting Thomas could look on them. And so at God's right hand, Jesus is even now interceding for us, his chosen and loved people. And the marks of his love for you are there at the very throne of God in his hands, in his side. And so as we read of this bride leaning on her husband, remember that today as believers, we can lean on Jesus the lover of our souls. He is fully able to empathize with our weakness, yet strong enough to bear all your burdens, all your cares that you want to cast on him today. He's the mediator. He can bear. He loves. He's interceding. Disease, disaster, demons, Death, no problem for him. So lean on Jesus today. Who's that coming out of the wilderness leaning on a husband? It's the church <laughs> leaning on Jesus. So what's the right response to, to understanding such a powerful love? Well, two final headings for the series. Love is pure and brings peace. We get a final chorus from the friends who have seemed to have grasped the kind of the repeated warnings not to arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And they speak then of their little sister who seems a vulnerable younger girl. And they wonder how they can help her wait and be pure in her singleness. Look at verse 8. We have a little sister and her breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister? On the day that she's spoken of. If she's a wall, 
we will build towers of silver on her. If she's a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. She's still young. She's not yet physically mature. And they're not sure exactly how she's going to behave as she grows up. Is she going to be like a wall? Um, walls do not let people pass by. Will she be determined to, to wait until marriage before engaging in a sexual relationship? Well, if she stands firm in her virginity, they will honor her. And they'll give her gifts. They'll give her a silver dowry. Or is she going to be more like a door? Um, with obvious keenness, opening up herself to sexual advances to any who push on the door. Well, if she's more like a door, they're going to do their best to protect her from herself and border up with cedar, they say. Now, virginity in our culture is mocked, and we're surrounded by this kind of pornographic, sexually permissive culture. And so we as a church need to be a very definite counterculture. We need to value the sexual integrity of our single friends who show their commitment and their love for Jesus by remaining celebrate. celebrate. We should honor that. And we should value and uphold those who are married, who show their commitment and love for the Lord Jesus by remaining faithful to their spouses right through their lives. We should really honor that. And we should not dress or talk or act in ways that make it hard for people to honor God with their sexuality. We need to be a countercultural community uh, in this society. To not put ourselves in places of needless uh, temptation. Uh, to avoid arousing or awakening love until it's the right time. And why would we do that? Well, for we know that such pure love brings peace. And, and the wife appears to have a very frank conversation with this vulnerable young woman in verse 10. I am a wall, and my breasts are like towers. Thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. Now, as, we, as we've heard throughout this song, this woman is no passionless prude. Um, and she's clearly a mature woman. But she was determined to be a wall. She waited until her wedding day before having sex with her husband. And so because of her resolve and her commitment, she becomes in the eyes of her husband like one bringing contentment. Now the word in the original is the word shalom, peace. She's like one bringing peace. Because she waited until marriage, then her lovemaking with her husband had no shame, had no regrets, had no guilt. Instead, it's a source of wholeness and peace to him and to her. You see, sexual immorality will always cause jealousy and strife. That's what most of the dramas on TV seem to indicate and be built around, isn't it? The, the chaos of sexual immorality, what unfaithfulness does to a marriage. It's always a source of pain and anger and hurt. But love that is pure, that waits, brings peace. 
And I want to say that genuine repentance from past sexual sin and the forgiveness and the cleansing that the Lord Jesus makes possible through his death on the cross will also bring us back to that peace and wholeness today. Now, I think our society is telling us so many lies about the myths of sexual promiscuity as if that's true freedom. And there's ever attempts to further distort this. Um, there's attempts to regularize polyamory and polygamy and thruples and other bizarre nonsense out there. And so she continues her wisdom teaching to this younger woman by contrasting her situation, a simple country girl who's, who's gone into a lifelong marriage with a single shepherd boy, with King Solomon and his harem. Look at verse 11. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Harmon. He let out his vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver. Now we've seen quite often through this song that she refers to her body as a vineyard. And Solomon's take home of 1,000 shekels is quite possibly an allusion to his harem of 800 wives and 200 concubines. But the more women Solomon had, the less deeply personal and fulfilling was his relationship with any of them. A thousand women. What sort of relationship did these women have with their quote-unquote husband? A very remote one, I would suggest. He has to hire keepers to manage all these women. But, she says, my own vineyard is mine to give. She just has one vineyard and she freely gives it. And she's freely pledged herself to her husband in a monogamous, committed, deep relationship. Love is leaning. Love is fruitful. Love is permanent and priceless. Love is pure and brings peace. And lastly, love is unquenchable. I think it would be a surprise to most people in Edinburgh to know that we've got books like this in the Bible, don't you think? And I think it's a very surprising ending. Uh, the Song of Songs ends as it starts with, with passion and desire. He is hunting uh, in the gardens for his wife and is eager to hear her voice. Let me hear your voice, he calls out. And she responds, verse 14, Come away, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice laden mountains we heard a voice at the very start of the song full of desire before they're married let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth she proclaims and there after all this time she still desires him i think she's looking for more than kisses though and this is how the song ends we have a God-breathed song in the Bible that ends with passion and unquenchable desire of the lovers to enjoy more of each other. And the book ends. But you sense that things are carrying on, don't you? And a healthy, loving marriage doesn't allow stagnation. It's pictured here uh, as a place where the husband longs to hear his wife speak. That's what a healthy marriage looks like. He's keen to hear his wife speak. 
and his wife is eager for her husband to come away with her and enjoy new intimacy and pleasure. That's how the song ends. But you know what? It's not the only book in the Bible that ends exactly this way. This is how the last book in the Bible ends, the book of Revelation. There is a husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, longing to hear his bride, the church, and the bride is calling for the bridegroom to come, to hasten the day when they can be together in an eternal marriage of joy and fellowship and delight. Let me read to you from Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. We may or may not get married in this life. We may or may not have a happy marriage in this life. We may or may not be able to have babies. But if this study of this song has awakened a thirst in us, then whether we're single or married, we should know that the satisfaction of our deepest desires will not be met in a human relationship. It'll only be met through uniting our life with Jesus Christ. And you are invited today to drink deep of the water of life, which is to know Christ indwelling your life by his Holy Spirit. It's an invitation to all of us today. Maybe you've never come to Christ. Well, it's an invitation for you to come to Christ today. Maybe you've been ignoring him as a Christian believer. He invites you to come and enjoy fellowship with him today it is an amazing thing to know that you are so truly and deeply loved loved by the living God and to anywhere in Christ today know for certain that you are so truly and deeply loved by God that through God's amazing grace um, united to the true lover of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ, we can daily lean on him. We can look to him to produce lasting fruit, a spiritual offspring of those that we lead to Christ and disciple, knowing that we are sealed on his heart and that by his spirit, he has sealed us as belonging to him. That his love is stronger than death. That he has offered his love to us at great cost to him, but freely to us. So that we can live in purity and peace. Knowing that there's always still more grace and joy as we pursue him. And what we've tasted now is but just a tiny amount of what is yet to come. And that's why the church says, come Lord Jesus, this is the everlasting love with which he loves us and it never ends. This is 
the song of songs.